What's up, guys, and welcome to episode two of the Wins and Losses podcast. My name is Tyler, and joining me today is a good friend of mine, Jazz Coach. Jazz, how's it going? It's going good, man. Living life, trying to stay healthy. I understand that. So uh, what do you want people to know about you, Jazz? I guess I could talk a little bit about, you know, who I am and what type of person I am, where I came from. You know, I was born and raised in North Augusta, South Carolina. Probably has like 22,000 people. Not not as big as, you know, most cities. Uh, a lot of people think being from North Augusta means I'm from Georgia, which that's false. I'm actually from South Carolina. North Augusta and Augusta are two different cities in two different states. Uh, but I guess what I want people to know about me is a big personality. I, you know, speak my mind most of the time. I like to get to know people. I create art. I like to work out. You know what I'm saying? Just a typical 25-year-old, you know, trying to survive out here. But I went to high school at North Augusta High, only high school in North Augusta. Played ball for four years that I was there. And then I decided my senior year to play soccer. I didn't know you played soccer. I played soccer. Not a lot of people know that. My senior year, I played soccer. I was done with basketball, and I was like, I need to find something else to do. So the coach was like, why don't you just come out and try to play goalkeeper? I was like, okay, come out there and just, you know, I got to do is stop the ball from going into the net. Not a lot of running, not a lot of side to side. Well, I guess it is a lot of side to side, but a lot of reaction type you know, reflexes. And it was the hardest thing that I've ever done. The only time I played soccer was I was like six years old. And this is the time I'm living in Vermont. So I'm playing the snow and I get decked. So (laughs) finally I just walk off the field and I go, I'm never playing this ever again. That that's like the only time I ever played soccer in my life. It is a tough sport. Shout out to all the people that play soccer, you know, in the past high school, whatever. I got a lot of respect for y'all because especially all the goalkeepers out there. It is, it is hard. It is a hard sport. I did that. And then North Augusta is not really big. So we didn't really get noticed by anybody, you know, big college coaches and stuff like that. Even my AAU team, like I played in Augusta for a couple of years and I played for a team in Aiken. That's like a travel ball team type. You try to get exposed by college coaches. And it, you know, I get to my senior year and I have no offer, zero. So I was like, all right, now it's time for me to take initiative. You know, I didn't get exposed. Is it my fault? Probably not. But I got to take initiative. So my senior year, we got a we got a new a new coach. So I called my old coach, and I don't I don't know where he ended up going, but I was like, Yo, I need twelve highlight tapes, or not even highlight tapes, game footage of me playing. Twelve, just like the good man that he is, he sent me twelve CDs. And I was like, all right, these are going to 12 different colleges. USC Aiken was the last people to get my my high school highlight tape. The last people. I was like, oh, I got one one love. I might as well send it to USC Aiken, see what they say. And I've, I've gotten feedback from other coaches, Georgia, uh, Georgia Southwestern, and some other places. But I was like, all right, I'll send it to USC Aiken just to see. Got the call, come up there, try out. It ended up working. Ended up, you know, being 20 minutes from where I actually stay. And, you know, at first it was new, you know, being young, being very small, you know, for my position, playing with the big dogs, you know, everybody in high school is the best player. And then you, or you're the best player. And then you get to college, everybody is the best player. So I was like, dang, like, how am I going to compete with this and compete with that? But, you know, that's, that's really, 
you know, I, I was happy to get the opportunity to play at USCA because I, I let a, I met a lot of people and network and I gotten, I've gotten jobs from people at USC Aiken. I've met other people that can elevate my career and where I want to go. And I still communicate with those people today. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. But I also think one thing that makes you really unique is that your work ethic is very good. I, that's just how I grew up, you know, very blue collar, you know, you're going to work for everything that you want in life. Nothing is ever, ever handed to you. I don't care if you want $5 to go get some lunch, you're going to do something for that $5. You know, that's how I was, you know, that's how I was raised. I was raised on no TV on the weekdays whatsoever. I think it started in like fourth grade. I did not watch a single lick of TV on the weekdays, unless it was summertime. A very, very blue collar, very conservative, strict, you know, lifestyle. Like I said, didn't watch TV on the week, weekdays unless we snuck and watched it. And if we did that, we probably got caught. We watched it on the weekends. And even on the summer, there was no, I never slept in. And that's why now I'm more of a morning person. I can get up at whatever time you want me to, but it's hard for me to stay up because my mom and dad would wake us up on the weekends. Like there's no sleeping in to like, you know, 11, 12, one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon. Most of the time we're getting up at nine or 10 and we're making sure everything is done and we're starting our day. Even if we're not going anywhere, we're still getting up. You know what I'm saying? Very strict. Parents check their grades every Friday to make sure that we were on the right track. And yes, I hated it growing up. I hated it. But now it's like, that made me to the person I am today. I'm hard on myself because I want, I know, you know, I can be better. You know, I'm very disciplined minded. You'll never see me getting in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I think like the harder your parents are on you, it's the more you learn from them. Right. People don't understand that that makes you like a better person. People get so mad at their parents about the way they, you know, they act towards them, but really it's like the best thing for them. Yeah. And I, I appreciate my, my parents for being so hard, not only, you know, with school, but with sports as well, it kind of translated over to sports, you know, um, playing in high school and, and playing in, in college. Like I was never that player that would take shortcuts. I was never the best player. I might've thought that I was the best player in high school, but I knew I wasn't the best player in college. I was like, there ain't no way I can keep up with these girls, but I would just work my butt off every single day. I'm always working out in the gym, lifting weights to get stronger. I'm always going to make my time during conditioning, listen to what the coaches are saying and learn because they know more than me. You know, I don't care how much skill that you have. The coaches are always going to know more about the game than you. Exactly. You got to humble yourself when it comes to, you know, playing a sport, especially like basketball, humble yourself and listen, and just, if you work hard and I tell people today, not only basketball, but if you just work hard, and do the right things. Your dad always said it. If you just do the right things, good things will happen to you, no matter what. Even if some opportunities, you know, those doors close, if you continue to do the right thing, be kind to people and work hard, good things are going to happen, you know? So, yeah, I like that. So let's uh, let's transition into your sports career at USC Aiken. Okay. So came in in 2013, uh, about 145 pounds soaking wet, um, freshman, didn't play much. Um, one of my teammates, her name is Mackenzie Reese. I will never forget the moment where she told me, she was like, Jazz, you're going to have to put on muscle if you want to play at this level. 
and I took it to heart. I took it to heart. I'm talking about, I called my dad. I was like, I need whey protein, strawberry flavor right now. Get me two cases. I need to get into the gym. And I started eating literally peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I started putting on muscle. Like, I'm like, it got to the point where people thought I was using, you know, cycling off of steroids and stuff. And I was like, no, I'm literally just putting in the work. I'm always in the gym. When my team gets done lifting, all right, I'm going to the wellness center. I'm going to do another workout. It got to that point. Um, so eventually my sophomore year, I still didn't see as much playing time, you know. And I will always wonder, I was like, I wasn't on a full ride scholarship. And I'll tell anybody that. Some of my teammates were. And I would find myself outworking them, you know, outworking them, hustling to get balls, diving on the floor, making sure my man is boxed out. And, you know, I wasn't a scorer, but I did what I needed to do to help my team win in practices. But I felt like, you know, it wasn't translated over to the games. I'm like, why am I still not playing? Why am I still not playing? They got full rides and I'm, I'm out hustling them. I'm out working them. But in my mind, I'm like, all right, I got to be patient. I got to be patient. My time is going to come. I know it. My junior year, we were at Georgia College away. I'm stretching on the court next to Mackenzie Reese, the same girl that told me, Jazz, bulk up and you'll get some playing time. That was my freshman year. She told me that. This is my junior year. I'm stretching. My coach at the time walks up on the court while I'm stretching. He was like, Jazz, you're starting today. And it took off from there. I was like, I ain't looking back. That is it. I got my shot, my opportunity. I waited. I was patient, and I worked hard, and I got my opportunity. I think I ended up having, like, eight points, six rebounds, something pretty good, you know. I contributed to the team's uh, – I don't even know if we won. But that's when it started. Then I started starting after that, and then it got to my senior year. We had a coaching change. I was on the huh. search committee. Might as, well, might as well interrupt you there. So. Yeah. My dad is currently uh, the coach at USC Aiken, and yeah. what was it? My I think it was my junior year of high school. We moved, and that was Jazz's senior year. Is when my dad yeah. became the head coach. Yep, and I'll yeah. never forget his phone interview and his in-person interview. I can't go into too much detail about it, but he was very convincing when we were asking him questions and I was like, I like his personality. He doesn't seem like he's going to, you know, be an a-hole or anything like that. You know, he, he really wanted to see the success of this team, even if we had already had five seniors on the team, you know, at that moment, because that was a hard task for him to come into a program with five seniors, not knowing any of us, any of our personalities, nothing. And we just, some of us meshed really well. For, like, the preseason rankings, I believe we were picked, like, last. Yeah, last. So. We were picked last, and that's up. But, like I said, getting into my senior year with that coaching change, I was starting, you know, I, I'm feeling good even with the coaching change. Hardest preseason I've ever done. I'll tell anybody this. My senior year was the hardest preseason conditioning. I think it was eight weeks. Or maybe it was – it might have been ten weeks. I don't know. But – and I tell you day and day, that was the hardest conditioning I've ever done in my life of basketball. But, I mean, obviously, it was good. We ended up beating ranked teams my senior year that nobody thought we would beat. One of the most memorable games that I watched live was beating the number four ranked Columbus State at home. At and, home. And, we, and you guys steamrolled them. And I don't – before that moment, I don't think we've ever beat – when I played. I don't think we've ever beat Columbus State at home. 
or any, actually. Um, we ended up beating them. We ended up beating Lander, which was, you know, crazy. Um, just ranked teams. We ended up beating Shaw by a landslide. I'm talking about just smack them. Then we ended, we ended up beating Benedict. All ranked teams that we should have lost to, we beat. Granted, there were teams that we lost to that we should have beat, but it happened. But I think my most memorable game, and I'll tell anybody this story because I'm still proud of it. I don't care what they say about it. Pembroke at home, you probably remember this game. I don't know if you're there, but Pembroke at home, we're tied for first in the conference. I don't know how we got up to first place, but we're tied with Pembroke in the conference. Wait, what was this? Was this like near the middle of the year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. middle of the year. It was conference play. Um, it might have been, it might have been after Christmas break, but we were we were tied with Pembroke number one. Uh, they were good, you know. The game, the for some reason, the gym was packed. You know, it was a lot of players. I mean, a lot of fans in the in the arena that day, and it's the most memorable for me for me because that was the first time I've ever gotten a double double. I've always came close to getting double doubles, like nine points, eight rebounds, seven points, whatever rebounds, but never gotten a double-double. I I don't know what I ate that day. And I was just like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to play my heart out. We're going to get to the number one spot and end up having 16 points, 10 rebounds. And I was like, this is it. Like that was, that was the game right there. I will never forget it. That was the game where I got my first double-double. I did my first interview uh, after the game. And I was like, this is, I talk about that day because I can replay the game over and over again in my head. I talk about that game more than any other games that I've ever played in my life. Just because the team morale, how we played together, we worked so hard to get to that, you know, to that moment, to that win. I was just like, it's unbelievable. I think there was like tough patches also that year because we had people leaving. We got down yeah. to like 10 people near the end of the year. Yeah, I wasn't going to say nothing about that, but we did – you know, we, we started the season with, what, 14 or 15 players? 15. 15 and ended the season with 10. And when people would ask me, I'm like, and I would always say, you know, they just wanted to do new things. You know, they want to go somewhere else. And that's fine. The people that were left were the people that wanted to be there. Yeah. Some of them still were a little up and down, but it doesn't matter. The people that were left there at the end of the season were the people – that wanted to be there and wanted to buy in to the coaching change. And I think that's like, that's like the biggest thing with any program is if all your players can buy in right. to what the coach wants them to do, then you're going to have a better, you're going to have more success uh, throughout the season. I think it was more of the people that were left were very open-minded of the coaching change. At first I was a little, you know, timid. It's like, Oh man, like this is my senior year. Like, Cause it happened to me in high school where I went three years with the same coach. And then my senior year, I got a new coach. All four years of high school baseball for me, yeah. literally all four years, I had a different coach. Really? Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't because you just trust in this one person so much. And then when it gets switched, it's like, man, but he, you know, once I was open-minded cause he was open-minded and we're talking about coach Miller, he was open-minded, which made me become more comfortable with his coaching style and how he talked to people. And I like that because I'm very – I can get emotional. Um, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm an emotional player, but I can get emotional when things aren't going wrong within 
the family, like the team. Because I, I, in my mind, they're my family. And when those players started leaving, I'm like, our family's falling apart. You know, mm-hmm. our family's falling apart. And he was so good at talking to me and explaining to me why people or not I'm going to say people, why players, they acted the way they, they did. You know what I'm saying? Because I was just confused. I was like, Coach, why are they, why are they leaving? Why are they doing this? And he, knew, he would explain to me, you know, that my mindset and their mindset is completely different. In my mind, it's like, no, you're going to work, work it out. Work out your problems. Some people, they just, oh, it's a problem, I'm just going to leave. They don't know how to get through that adversity. You know what I'm saying? And I was confused really confused but I love the way that he talked to me about it because it was times I would go in his office like almost crying you know I, I don't know what's going on with this team you know people are not wanting to buy in to you they're not wanting to listen to me because they thought I was an a-hole and I just wanted to win I didn't care who started I didn't care what playing time I literally just wanted to win my senior year and then we ended up going to the playoffs with 10 players which is unheard of the fact that that team even went 14 and 14 is insane. I think you have to attribute it to not only the people who bought in, but also to being probably the best well-conditioned team I've ever seen. I was in the best shape of my life. Best shape of my life. And like I said, I would tell anybody, I'm not going to you know, go into details about what we actually did in the conditioning, but it was, it was tough. It was tough, but it only made us better. You know, it only made us better as a team, mentally and physically, because when you're going through the trenches of preseason conditioning with your team, and that's the only thing you're doing, when you get to the court, it translates over. We just suffered together, so now let's let's reap the benefits of that suffering. You know what I'm saying? I think that was good, but we went up playing uh, Columbus State, at Columbus State. And I think it was kind of a revenge game for them. We only lost by 10, I believe, 10 or 11. Um, it was back and forth, but we hung in there. But, you know, it was emotional after the game. But I can truly say that that was the best season that I had at USC Aiken. Even – and I've been on the team where we got into the second round. It doesn't matter. That was the best season altogether playing-wise that I've had at USC Aiken. That was kind of like – the start of my dad's career at USC Aiken yeah. because he kind of established how the culture wants to be. And yep. it still takes you a long time to build up a new program. You know, we're, he's going to be in his fifth year this coming year. Yeah. And now it's like, we're really starting to pick everything up, you know? Right. And like I said, like I said, he always, he always talked about doing the right things and then the culture of the team, those two go hand in hand, you know, building a culture around good, solid, not only players, but individuals, like people, because basketball is temporary. And that's what I try to tell young players, freshmen, whatever. I'm like, basketball is temporary. It will end. Don't think you just can keep doing this for the rest of your life. You have to take what you're doing now, and it translates over into the workplace or into whatever, you know, career you decide to go into, your family, your job, whatever, it all translates over. What you do now, how hard you work now, is going to ter- determine how hard you work when you have a career. If you're taking plays off, if you're not touching the line, if you're not, you know, not doing the little things, that will translate over into the workplace. If you're always showing up late, it will, it will translate over. Like I said, it's 
it all goes hand in hand when you're an athlete. I mean, you know, it's all hand in hand. It's all the same, you know? The lessons you learn off the off the baseball field, same lessons you learn on the baseball field. It's all vice versa. Then you go on to coach alongside my father. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so when I got to college, I didn't know exactly what career I wanted to do. I was like, all right, the only thing that would interest me is exercise science. So I was like, I like to exercise. I like science. Let me just do this. And I had the business minor. Uh, my concentration was fitness management. So I got that business minor too. I was like, well, that can be helpful, you know, down the road. But I, you know, as the years went on, I was like, man, my, what do I need to do with my life? I mean, I had no idea. And I was like, well, wait a second. You know, my last name, Coach. Maybe I should be a coach. Let me try this coaching thing out. I did like high school, a little bit of AAU. But then I got the opportunity to be a student assistant coach with your dad, which was awesome. I loved it and I hated it at the same time. I loved it because I love basketball and I love, you know, coaching. I like teaching people. I like motivating people to work hard and push through pain and all that stuff. But I didn't like the drama that came with it. And when I mean drama, I mean like dealing with other people's problems. Because I don't consider myself a, you know, what is it, psychiatrist or something. Psychologist. Yeah, yeah. And it's like when people come, when I was playing, I would only have to worry about my own issues. We would bring our issues to your dad and to, you know, the assistant coach at the time, not thinking that they had 13 other girls to worry about too. So when you switch roles, it's like, now they have all these problems. I'm like what is going on? And my head's going to explode because everybody has something going on. Somebody has an attitude that day. That means the whole practice is going to be ruined. You know, when I was playing, it was different. You know, even sitting on the sidelines, watching the team. um, That first year was really tough. The first year you were on the staff. It was tough, you know, watching the team play. And I'm like, man, I can't go out there and help them. They need help. And there's nothing I can do. I don't have any more eligibility left. But like I said, like, your dad was good to, you know, coach with. He taught me a lot of stuff. Like, I learned how to do scout. Like, I learned how to do all that stuff, pay attention to the little things and try to figure stuff out, which I really appreciate it, you know. That's not the career path that I'm going into now. But like I said, I feel like everything, you know, it goes into each other. It's a cycle, you know. What I learned from there, I could use it for here. We use it for my art or whatever. I think I think it was fun. We had nice, you know, recruiting road trips. I don't know if you heard the story about me, me and him going to Florida. The <laughs> scariest moment in my life. I ain't gonna say the scariest moment in my life. Scariest moment in a car in my life. Man, I've been in a, I've been in a car accident. We're driving to Florida. I think it was like five hours to go see somebody that he was trying to recruit. And out of nowhere, the sky falls. I'm talking about tsunami. I'm literally sitting in the seat just like all clenched up and he I can you know I'm looking at him through the corner of my eye and in my mind I'm like man I know he can't see the road I can't see the road there's no possible way that he's able to see the road and I got 2020 vision so I know I can't see the lines in the road there's no possible way he can so I'm like up in my seat like you know looking out the window and I and I look at him like Coach, can you see the road? And he just busts out laughing. Busts out laughing. I'm like, Coach, I'm not playing. Can you see the road? And we got cars just going past us. It literally looked like we were driving underwater. That's how bad it was. And um, this car's going past us. And I'm like, 
literally freaking out. I'm like, there you know. So we get to the recruit. We, you know, we see the game. And after that, this is probably the most memorable moment of <laughs> outside of basketball, but coaching. We get out after the game. Now, I'm not a big McDonald's person. I haven't eaten McDonald's in like five years. I haven't even ordered a drink from McDonald's. Nothing against McDonald's. It's just not my, you know, taste. But we were starving. The only things that were open was McDonald's and Crystal's. And I was like, Coach, you know how I feel about McDonald's. I ain't, I'm not eating that. I was like, let's just go to Crystal's. So we go to Crystal's. We, I think we order the same exact thing. I'm like, Coach, just give me whatever you got. I'm sure it'll be fine. So we get it. I bring it back into the room. My bag's all greasy. I'm like, I smell it, and I'm literally about to vomit. It smells so bad. It smells like just greasiness. I think I just drunk the Sprite, and that was it. I wake up the next morning. We go downstairs. It's actually my birthday the next day. And I'm like, Coach, did you eat that crystal? He was like, yeah, it was good. Like, that crystal was good. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way you sat there and ate that crystals. I was like, man, I'm surprised you aren't sick to your stomach right now. He was like, no, I could have I could have had another one. I'm like, man, forget that. I threw my stuff in the trash. <laughs> but that was probably my most memorable moment, you know, outside of basketball coaching with your dad. And I, I had a good time, seriously, really good time. What were some uh, memorable moments, like, actually on the court? Coaching? Yeah. You know, in general, the most memorable moments that I can think of was just seeing how, like, passionate your dad is for the game. He's always, no matter what. Now, and this is what I noticed most about me when I switched from playing to coaching, watching your dad and, you know, because I wanted that to be my career. So I would want to take mental notes. For one, he never sat down, ever. He never sat down during the game. He He's either bending down or standing up. I'm like, there ain't no way I can do that for 40 minutes. I'm not bending down and then standing up the whole game. But just seeing, you know, how he was coaching, no matter if they were down by 40 points or up by 20 points, he was always coaching and teaching. No matter if the players wanted to hear it or not, he was he was going to teach them. And I think for me that was the most memorable and also the most, like, inspiring moment. because. Some coaches, their players don't want to play. They're down by 40. They, they check out. You know what I'm saying? But he was never like that. So I appreciated seeing that. Yeah. I mean, now I'm in that role. So now I'm a student assistant with my dad. And it's kind of interesting to see, like, the behind the scenes of how coaching actually happens. Because even, like, as growing up, I never really saw everything. And yeah. as, a, as a sophomore in college, it was, like, a brand-new perspective for me. It's huge, man. It's something to get used to. But if you love it, if you truly love it, then you'll keep with it. I don't know if it's necessarily like the trajectory of my career path, but um, it's just another thing for me to kind of try out and see if I'm going to actually have that career, you know? And that's that's what college is all about. I've dibbled and dabbled in everything. I my first job was uh, cardiac rehabilitation at USC Aiken. It was awesome. I did it for four years. Actually, I did it for – yeah, I did it for four years. So I started my sophomore year. Cardiac rehabilitation where we monitor blood pressures, heart rates, and EKGs of actual real-life heart patients that have had heart attacks, stents put in, transplants – and we monitor them while they're exercising and just getting to know 
that generation of people and how they are. It was awesome. I love that. So I did that. I also, this is all through college. I also coached a little bit of AAU. I got certified in personal training and group fitness training. So I did that on the side. And then I was all right, I want to do something else. So I got a job at Gold's Gym and hated it. Did that for a year, but didn't like it. And then I did a student assistant uh, job. And that was awesome, like I said. And then after all that said and done, when I graduated, I got a job in Columbia doing research within my actual major, which was one of the best jobs that I've ever had. The only problem was the drive. I had to drive an hour there and an hour back every single day for a year. I did that for a full year. And I got that job because of one of my professors. Um, that's why I, the networking and stuff at USCA can be like, if you can, you know, talk, the more people you talk to, the more people that can elevate you. Like you said, like a big thing with like the more connections you have, the more opportunities you're going to be able to get. Yeah. Exactly. And like every job that I've had has come from somebody mentioning me. So I did that for a year and we basically what we did was we monitored um, childcare homes, children between the ages of two and five would monitor their physical activity and nutrition. And we did that for a couple of days. And we also did infant uh, physical activity, which was awesome. We got to play with babies and it, it was a good job, but I did that for a year. And now I'm just getting into kind of, you know, my life after college. Because uh, I had already graduated. I got a, a, a badass Jeep. You know, I'm I'm living a dream. So I did that. And in my mind, I'm like, all right, I need to do something to elevate me even more. I need to do something else. That's why I decided to try to get into the Army. Long story short, it didn't work out. I tried for a year to get in. It didn't work out. And I went in there very confident that I knew I didn't have anything to worry about. I'm, I'm in the most shape or in the best shape than anybody here, I'm going to get in hands down. It didn't work out. and It was just not in God's plan, you know. So now because of Coach Miller, I got a job back at USC Aiken doing – I'm an operations assistant. My boss' name is Justin. He's awesome. We actually work together. Um, and now I'm just, you know, living the dream waiting until the next, you know, opportunity comes up, which they have. So I'm yeah. really excited where my life is going, all because of the people that I met at USC Aiken, doing the right things, staying out of trouble, working hard, and, you know, following the course. So During this whole quarantine, you actually found a new talent. So talk about that. Yep, I started drawing and painting, and it actually – it's not a new talent. I would even, I would, I would say it's just something that, you know, just resurfaced in my life. I've always been into visual arts. I've always been into drawing and painting, you know, back in middle school, high school, even elementary school, I knew that I wanted to work for Pixar. Like I was like, that's, that's where I need to go. I need to be at Pixar or Disney I need to be doing animation. Like I really enjoy it. I even took a an animation class um, in high school and I enjoyed it. But when the quarantine started, I was like, I can't sit here and watch TV every single day. I don't know how long this is gonna last, but I need to do something. So it all started with a sketch of a rhino. Like 
rhino uh, rhino is one of my favorite animals i was like oh, let me just try this rhino sketch so i you know googled a picture of a rhino and all i had is a pen i didn't even have a pencil i was like let me just do this pen sketch and it turned out really good and i got a lot of comments like jazz like that's a pretty good sketch like, okay cool maybe i still got it so i started drawing every single day with pencil with pencil and i was like man let me get some charcoal then I started, you know, drawing with charcoal every single day. And then a friend of mine was like, you need some color. Like, you got to add some color. So I got some color pencils. And I kind of liked how color pencils was looking, but I was like, oh, let me get out of my comfort zone a little bit. And so I started buying paint. And I was like, all right, now I'm getting somewhere. And now I, you know, I have a whole gallery of artwork that I'm now, you know, selling and doing commissions for people that want me to draw for them and it's it's like a little mini side business for me what are some of the uh favorite pieces you've made so far so i think my favorite piece is probably so bob marley inspires me like he i love him i love everything that he's about i listen to his music every single day and i think my favorite piece is the charcoal drawing that I did of Bob Marley um, is very realistic. Uh, I think I'm better at charcoal than I am at painting because I just started getting into painting. But I just love the details and everything in it. The It's all about value, you know, how you can make something look three-dimensional, but it's on a flat surface, you know what I'm saying? Um, but I think that's my favorite piece. So. Question, but how many colored pencils have you broken? So I haven't really you know, broken colored pencils, but I have broken regular pencils and pieces of charcoal everywhere. And I find myself breaking the pieces and they get into the carpet. And that's another story of cleaning it out of the carpet because it's actually really tough to clean dark black charcoal out of carpet or on the couch. So do you think artists have like wood floors instead of carpets? They should, you know, I think, I think when people think of artists, this is my perception of artists too, I guess. Kind of the free-spirited, you know, baggy clothes, sandal, barefoot-wearing artists. You know what I'm saying? That drinks coffee and music with their essential oils everywhere. And now I'm starting to figure out why, because now I'm starting to do that. Now I'm starting to, I have to burn some candles and get into a vibe of of art, you know? So, but I think there's different types of artists, you know, there's, there, you got your painters, you got your graffiti artists, you got your pencil, you know, hyper-realistic artists, which are super dope, which takes them like two to three months to complete one piece because it's so realistic. Um, you got your, you know, ceramic artists, you know, they're all kind of different. It's kind of just where you fit into. I haven't really found my niche in what kind of artist that I am. I don't consider myself a realistic artist. I don't consider myself a painter or a painter. I honestly just think that I'm a visual art. I just like all art. Like if I can get into pottery, I would get into pottery. You know, it just kind of whatever I feel that day. Do you think you have like different perspectives that make you a bit different from other people? I think I do. Like, you know, I get a lot of inspiration, like I said, from Bob Marley I love animals. I love nature. So I have literally on my wall, I have a, a drawing of an ostrich. 
No, I mean, you know, you don't really see that, you know. I have a frog. I, do, I have a lot of other stuff. I have jellyfish, you know, just a lot of different types of stuff. But I prefer using charcoal just because I just love the black and white vibe. But I, I, I do like color too, so. Do you think, like, when you get certain scented candles gives you a certain vibe for what you're going to make? No, but I, I do realize that sometimes I'll play, I'll have, like, Netflix on while I'm like drawing or painting and I just can't do it. Like I cannot get into the mood of drawing. Like I'm trying to draw something and I keep messing up, ended up getting frustrated. So what I do is I'll light a candle. I'll either play music or I'll play an art video on uh, YouTube or an art podcast. And that, you know, shifts my mind like jazz. It's okay. You're an artist. You're going to mess up. Let's get into the mood. Let's get right back to it. You'll be fine. Gets you into like some form of like a Zen mode almost. Yeah, it really does. Like I, I would get into it and I don't know where three hours go by, you know, and I don't even realize it. Like I don't, I, I forget to eat. Like I have to, you know, make myself take a break from one piece. I think the longest piece that I did was probably two and a half days. And that was the uh, replica of Van Gogh, um, his cafe terrace at night. It's, pretty, it's a nice painting. Um, and that only took me two and a half days because I wanted to get the sketch right, you know, because that's the foundation, the sketch. If, you, if your sketch is not right, your painting is going to be off. And then I had, well, I wanted to match the, the colors perfectly to Van Gogh's colors. So I think that's what, why it took me so long. But normally a painting can take maybe around three hours. A drawing could t- probably take around, you know, two and a half, three, maybe even four. It, it depends. It depends on how much detail goes into it and how big they are. I'm just now starting to expand how big my canvases are. So I, I was normally sticking to, you know, one certain dimension, but now I'm getting a little bit bigger and then I'll eventually get really, really big. And I actually, somebody messaged me today, they want me to do a mural for their room. And I, I've never done anything like that. Um, that's a, that's like a whole different thing. I'm like, man, people want me to do a mural, like, which I'm down to do it. I don't know how it look, but I still consider myself an amateur, a beginner. I'm learning every day on YouTube. I, you know, watch videos of how people mix colors, what type of pencils to use, what type of charcoal, how to make my lines straight, how to draw hair, how to make an eye look realistic. I need to paint a mural one day for somebody. So, but yeah, I think eventually I'm going to start painting on clothes this coming fall just to get out of my comfort zone. Because I think when I was just doing pencil and charcoal, I never got out of my comfort zone. So that's when I started adding color, color pencils and painting. And now I was like, all right, I'm getting comfortable with the paint. You know what I'm saying? How to use it. Let me get on, you know, clothes, see if I can paint on a denim jacket or a pair of denim jeans, you know, maybe some shoes. So. So along with expanding your knowledge of using different colors and painting certain, you know, different things, uh, is there any other like future artwork uh, projects that you're going to do? I wouldn't necessarily say projects. I do have a couple commission paintings that I'm currently working on and that I need to work on. Um, Trying not to be a procrastinator um, is hard. I probably have like about six commission artworks that I need to get done. Good thing is they didn't give me a time frame, but that's also a bad thing. So, um, but I also want to venture into spray painting, like graffiti type, 
tapestry, you know, spray painting on tapestry. Um, I think those are cool for people's like dorm rooms and, you know, little lounge areas. I think that's dope. So kind of, you know, venturing out, trying different things. So Do you think you're ever going to get into like doing more stuff on like social media, like promoting your art as well as going into like YouTube and stuff like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, right now I'm promoting my art on Instagram a lot. My mom actually wants me to get a Facebook page. So she said that would be a good business thing to do. And so I'll, I'll end up figuring out how to do Facebook. But eventually I do want to make, you know, videos of me drawing, like a time lapse of me, you know, the sketch, the paint, the charcoal, whatever it is, like a time lapse with a, with a nice camera to record, you know, because some people, you know, they like to see the steps that it, you know, took for me to get to a certain place. Like, how did you draw that? Okay, now I'm going to show you how I drew it. You know, you can, you know, you can try it yourself or if you want to have questions or anything like that. How did you make that line look like that? How did you mix that color? I could answer those questions, so. Yeah, I think it's just so cool that you've kind of tried something new and different. And I feel like that's one thing a lot of people are kind of afraid to do and kind of like afraid to take a risk. Right, and you got to, especially like, this was the perfect time. Yes, we're, you know, in this day and age, you know, with the virus, it, it sucks. Like, it really sucks. But the thing that I can be grateful about is I found art again. Because like I said, I was always into art. But with school and basketball, I, you know, just kind of put it in my back pocket and was like, whatever, like, I got other stuff to do. That brings up, a, like, another really good point is that it's really tough being a student athlete. Yeah, it, it's one of the hardest things to deal with, uh, managing your education, your practices, your games, your social life, making sure you get enough sleep, making sure you get enough food in your system. I mean, it's tough, but only the strong survive. You know? Yeah, I think it's completely different. Like my situation is like, not only am I a student, but also I'm working in athletics. I'm also working as a student assistant. I'm not going to say that's, you know, not hard, but in that perspective, it is as well. You still got to wake up and be at practices and do all that stuff. And just, it's all about time management. You can figure out how to manage your time while you're in college and being a student athlete. And then also managing your social life because it's a part of it. You know, it's a part of it. If you can figure out how to manage that, what comes first, you'll be all right. Like the biggest thing I've been doing is doing uh, like to-do lists, like, as soon as I go to bed, I write down what I'm going to do the next day. Yeah. Like, like the time frame I need to get it done. I feel like some people should take that. Yeah. And, and it's good. It's good to have that. And I've learned that when I do that, I get things done. So now let's transition into something that's pretty important. So now we're going to talk about the social injustice movement. So right. jazz, you know, this has been a really big thing that's been brought up and it's something that's been going on for a long time now so right. so do you want to start us off with this yeah. yeah i mean like you said it's been going on for 400 plus years you know from the time of slavery till now it's just a little different now we're not slaves but you know the systematic racism has been going on for centuries and it's unfortunate that people have to die because of it What's, what's what I think is really crazy is this really got enhanced because of the whole George Floyd incident. Right. It took social media. It took more, like it took more people to see what's actually happening for people to realize it, even though it's been going on for so long. 
and I hated that situation, but I, I'm glad that people were aware. Because just imagine if there were no cameras. Imagine if, you know, there were no phones, no social media, nothing. We would have never known that, that situation would have happened. So, you know, God rest his soul. But with that being shown across the internet and across social media, people started opening their eyes and be like, this is a real issue that we have to fix, you know, because lives are being taken from it. And now, like, it took them... It took our government, you know, so long to finally arrest the cops who killed him. Like, yeah. that was a huge problem. And my thing is that the evidence is right there, you know. With that situation with Breonna Taylor, with Ahmaud Aubrey, you know, it's all right there. So in, in our eyes of the black community, it's like, y'all don't even care. You know, speaking to, you know, the government and the, you know, police department, it's like, y'all not even caring. Like, these families... You know, and it, it, we can go back to like Trayvon Martin. You know what I'm saying? That was a big one at the time. Yeah, it's like this has been happening. So what more can we do? So when people talk about oh the looting, the rioting, burning down buildings, and all that stuff, in my eyes, how I see it is this: back in the 1960s, with Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and those big time civil rights activists, when they marched, Martin Luther King preached peacefulness. He was always peaceful. If you go back and watch the documentaries, the movies, read a book about him, he always did a peaceful protest. He would never get crazy, you know, burning down buildings. So when we do it for Trayvon Martin, when we do it for um, Ahmaud Arbery or whatever, we do these peaceful protests and it's still happening. Our culture is like, what it was it, what is it gonna take? We've already done the peaceful protest. So now we gotta do something to really wake them up. And yeah, I'm not for violence, but it's, it, now it's waking people up, you know? Oh, let me, you know, throw a rock at this car. Now you're going to see that, look, this is what we're fighting for. I thought the craziest thing was the one store owner, and I forget where it was, but he had a sword. And he was chasing after people with the sword. And yeah. then I just see nine people just beat the crap out of him. And it's insane. It, it's, it's gotten crazy, and the police are shooting the protesters with rubber bullets and it's not some like crazy small rubber bullet. These are huge rubber bullets that are taking eyes out. So it's like, what is that going to solve? You know, you could debate not only with the coronavirus, but also with the social like injustice movement. It's been the worst time in America since probably nine 11. Yeah. 100%. And the peaceful protesting and all that stuff, it, it was really good. I actually went to a protest in Augusta, Georgia, right up the road for me and the amount of love support and diversity that was at that protest you had blacks whites asians hispanics whoever gay straight you know muslim doesn't matter everybody was out there we just wanted to shed a light in augusta georgia like look this is a problem like we're seeing it on camera now people are you know the oppressed is getting killed every single day Every single day, police brutality. And they're getting away with it. You know what I'm saying? So we're just tired of it. It's just been one of those things where there has to be some sort of change. It's been going on for too long. And honestly, with the whole George Floyd and the protests, it's we're kind of taking a step in the right direction. Uh, Of course. Um, You know, 
they they've been arrested. I think I saw something yesterday that Breonna Taylor's murders has been arrested because even that situation was that's crazy. gone on for way too long. Way too. It's been 130 plus days since she was killed, and now y'all are just arresting her uh, or investigating her. I don't think they've been arrested. I think they're investigating. Um, but it's like, like I said, you know, this has been going on for for years. You know, uh, racial injustice. You know, I've been, you know, talked about, you know, being black and whatever. But it is what it is. You know, it at this point, as long as you don't physically harm me or anything like that, you can say what you want to say. You know what I'm saying? People have that's your opinion. But people of my color should not yeah. ever say the n-word ever never i, I don't never. care and I, I, and and if someone does i'm gonna call you out and say you need to shut up you know yeah and and you know some people are like oh well, black people say it and it's like it, it's not even like that you know what i'm saying it's a cultural thing you know i'm not saying it's right to say but it's a cultural thing you know we've been called hard er for the longest, you know what I'm saying? So coming from, you know, I think, I think a big thing for the white community is that we have to stand up to the people who do stuff like that and say, you need to stop. That's not cool. It's wrong. And, you know, a lot of my people have reached out to me and have talked about it and they're like, what can I do? And that's good. Even you reaching out to me saying something about it means that you're, you're on our side because if you're silent, that's not doing nothing. Yeah. I think I reached out to you about that. Right. You text me. And it's like, it's the people that are silent and don't say anything about it whatsoever. That's the problem. We need everybody. It's, co- it's a collective group. I appreciate, shout out to everybody that reached out to me, or even if you reached out to somebody else of color, you know, it's greatly appreciated because you can ask any black person, they have been, you know, in a situation where racism was involved or they didn't feel comfortable. You know, I've been in situations where I just didn't feel comfortable, you know, in a building or in a room with with white people. You know, I've been, you know, high school. I can remember I was the only black girl in the class. It was it was wasn't even a black guy in the class. It was all, it was all whites. And then, I went to a high school that had was like ninety four percent white. This was my first high school, and I was like really close with uh, the two people who were African American, mm-hmm. and I would try to like you know, also include them and stuff and, you know, talk to them and, you know, be friends with them because I didn't like the people saying like, Oh, you know, Oh yeah. Cause you're black, like stuff like that. Like, I never liked that. It's not cool. And it starts at a young age. You know, my niece is, my niece is five and she comes to me. I pick them up from school all the time. And she was like, yes, boy. Um, tell my white, uh, white boy, he wouldn't give me a stamp because he said I was brown. And I was like, what? Like, y- y'all are five years old. That's a, that's a five-year-old? What? And it comes from their surrounding. I can't blame that five-year-old kid. I can blame his parents, you know what I mean? Um, and how he was raised, and I can blame that, you know? So it's just a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, even going back to, you know, the shooting in Charleston. The guy walks in and says, I'm here to kill black people, and boom, that's it. You know, it's been going on for a long time, you know, a long time. And I'm glad that, you know, celebrities and, you know, the NBA and the WNBA are finally stepping up and saying, hey, this isn't right. You know, we're not we're not going to do this anymore. It has to it has to stop. So.
I like the idea about the NBA having those, and even the WNBA, I think, are also doing yeah. it. But they have like they can pick their own like a phrase to put yeah. on the back of their jerseys. Oh yeah, it's, it's dope, and that just goes to show that just because they're making all this money doesn't mean they're they're not right there with us. We like to see it. The music that's out, you know, some of the people, you know, J Cole, Lil Baby, they're putting out music for us, letting us know that, hey, we're part of it too. But they're putting out music and, you know, the NBA and the WBA really, you know, they're showing us that no matter how much money we make, we're still black too. I think another big thing we need to like say is that not all people are racist, but it's, but it's now to a point where we need to actually call the people who are racist out because that stuff's just not cool. And that was the problem, you know, when other whites don't call other whites out for being racist, they would just let it slide. Like, oh, he's dumb. You know, no. Say, hey, no, you're like, you're wrong. You know, you're wrong for saying that. You know, um, like I said, silence is not good. Yeah. Speak out on it. Don't be afraid. Especially if you really stand for something. Another big thing is like, not all cops are bad. Like, I understand, like, they look really bad in this situation. Yeah. But... Not yeah, you're right. But the scariest moments is you never know which cop you're gonna get when you get pulled over. You know, it's like I've been in situations where I had a cop be a complete a hole to me, not even thinking that the jeep was my jeep, and just be a complete jerk mm-hmm. to me about it. Then I've had other cops who literally pulled me over just to say they like my jeep. <laughs> you know, oh, I, I I'm not trying to uh give you a ticket. I just want to say I like your jeep. Oh, thanks. You know, but it's like, which one, which one am I going to get? I think like, I think there's cops that really want to be good to everyone. Right. It doesn't matter what color or race or whatever you are, but there's other cops that literally want to abuse their power to mm-hmm. actually, I guess, prove something, which they don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove anything. You got a badge. Okay. Like protect us. Y'all, they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be protecting us, but they're killing us. It doesn't make sense. You know, now, like I have all respect for cops. I think the jobs that they have to do, you know, an entirety of a day is insane. I think now it's to the point where systemic change has to happen and we need to start to flush out all the bad cops, but also kind of reward all the good cops. I guess the real message is like we need to as as our community, we need to respect more of the African-American community, because when people say all lives matter, it starts with respecting the african-american community even more exactly you know yeah and yes all of all lives do matter but the life that is in jeopardy right now is the african-american community you know of course your life matters you know but you're not getting you know racial you know injustices or whatever going on for you it's okay when you get pulled over you're gonna know everything's okay but for me is it might be a problem and that's what needs to change. That's why Black Lives Matter. And I think also the importance of voting is really going to step up here in this next uh, calendar year. And, you know, I have, well, I have felt victim to not being a voter, you know, not registering to vote. I didn't vote for the last election. And that's my fault. That's on me. I didn't like the people that were running. So I decided just to be silent. And I can't do that anymore. You know, the importance of voting now, especially the African-American community, like we have to vote. Like, have to figure out a way to get registered and vote for the local, you know, mayor, the governor, the president, sheriffs, all of that. 
and really get educated on it. Because I think we're not, edu we're educated on the presidential election, but it starts in your community. You know, it starts in North Augusta, Augusta, Aiken. That's where it starts. And then you build out to the president. You know what I mean? So it's just important. It's really important to get out and vote. Yeah, I was hoping, like, when we were talking about this, that we can kind of reach out to a lot of people, because I think it's such a big issue. This is one of, like, five really big issues in America, and I just thought this was something that has to be addressed. Yep, like I said, like, I was one of those people who was like, oh, my vote doesn't matter. Like, I'm just one out of a million. No, it, it matters. It matters. What we got going on right now in the world, every vote counts, every single one. And I guarantee you, come November, I will be standing in lines voting and i'm just hoping as the years continue to go forward that everyone stays connected even more than what it used to be i think that's the even bigger message you know another thing that i was thinking about is that there's a misconception that there'll be like the white community doesn't like you know the black community because you know just because they're racist but there can be one person you just don't like right and they're just a different color than you yeah, I mean, just because I'm black, if you don't like me, it's probably not because I'm black. Maybe you just don't like me, you know? Maybe you don't like my personality or something like that. I can't, I can't assume that you're a racist because you don't like me. Until you say something racist, you're not a racist, you know what I mean? So you can't really assume that somebody doesn't like you because you're black or because you're white or Hispanic or anything like that. So it's just ignorance, you know? If they don't like you, they just don't like you. Yeah. You know, that's great facts. So now let's transition into just sports being back on television. So uh, I watched uh, some NBA basketball last night. What about you? I watched a little bit of NBA basketball, but the games were so late. I was tired, so I didn't get the chance to watch, you know, both games full. But I have been watching WNBA because I'm a huge WNBA fan. But I'm glad basketball's back. Obviously, it's my favorite sport. I, I love it, and I'm glad that they're tying in the social injustices with it, so that makes it even better. So here's what I'm going to ask you. Imagine you're the commissioner of the WNBA right now, okay? okay? What would you do to grow the WNBA brand? I think the, the first thing I would do is, besides putting it on social media, because they already put stuff on social media, you know what I mean? But I would kind of correlate the NBA and the NBA together. You know, because there's a lot of NBA players that support the WNBA. And obviously, WNBA supports the NBA. Have you seen the, um, what is it, those hoodies that have yeah. the WNBA logo and all the NBA players were, like, promoting yeah. them? And which is which is really good. And one of the best people to do that was Kobe Bryant. Rest his soul. He's the best person to really, like, look, this is a league. These are athletes. These are basketball players, just like we are. And it sucks what happened to him, but – if other NBA players can take on that role, it will be good for the WNBA to see that. Not only that, maybe have a WNBA TV network that all the games can come on because that was a big issue. Like, there's not a lot of coverage of the WNBA unless you have, like, a WNBA pass that you have to pay for every month or if it just so happened to be on NBA TV or ESPN, but it's rarely on ESPN, rarely. You know what I'm saying? Especially now that the NBA is back and they're in the same season, you're not really going to be seeing a lot of WNBA games. You're going to have to have the WNBA pass, so which sucks. So I feel like if they had their own channel, 
where all the games are played, I think that'll be perfect. I feel like the bigger stars of that league will also have to take a step up and also promoting their brand as well. Right. Kind of like how you got you got NBA players now who are doing like vlogs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel like it'd be cool for also like athletes from the WNBA to do that. Yeah, nothing. I mean, anything to get the word out about the, the WNBA because there's really some really high caliber athletes, basketball players that are really good and they're going to be Hall of Famers that play in that league. And, yeah, everybody can't dunk if you're not Brittany Griner, you know what I'm saying? But just the talent in general is unmatched. It's a sight to see. Once you, once you, I've been to a WNBA game. Uh, my favorite team is the L.A. Sparks. Shout out to them. Shout out to Candace Parker because she's my all-time favorite women's basketball player. Um, but just seeing them, just seeing a 6'5 female handle the ball down the court like she's a point guard. You know what I mean? Like, she's like a Kevin Durant, you know? Just respect their game. Just yeah. watch it. You know what I mean? I was, uh, I was watching highlights of Sabrina. I forget her last name. And yeah, I don't know how to say it. Played at um, Oregon. Yeah, yeah, played at Oregon. Um, I was watching highlights of her, and she had, what, like, it was, like, what, 34 and, like, 17 or something like that. It's like she's going to be, like, the face of the league, and if not right now. And it's like – just look at her college stats. First player in NCAA history, male or female, to reach 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 1,000 assists. Like you could debate she's the greatest college basketball player ever, of all time. man or female. Nobody has done that. My thing is y'all have to respect her. You know what I mean? She's a great player. Nobody has done that. You know how I many great men's basketball players go through college? And one can debate, one can debate that men's player, they leave after – you know, their first year. But even if they stayed, that is a hard thing to accomplish. 2,000 points, 1K, 1K. Like, yeah. So, uh, so let's go back to the NBA. So, yeah, I watched uh, – I was watching the Lakers and Clippers game last night, and you didn't watch it. The Lakers won by two. Clippers didn't have Lou Williams. They didn't have Montrez Harrell. Patrick Beverly was coming back from uh, – I think it was like Family Matters or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Zubac – Hardly played before that game. Same thing with Landry Shamit. And uh, and the Clippers played terrible. Like, they had 20-plus turnovers. Yeah. Um, but, like, they still only lost to the Lakers by two. LeBron didn't play very well. Anthony Davis had an amazing game. He was probably the best player on the court that day. Kawhi was up there as well. It's very hard for me to see the Lakers winning the NBA Finals after that game. And, really? Yeah, and here's why. The Clippers have no depth. They have two guys off their bench who average 36 combined. They both could win six man of the year. And then you have a lot of guys like have been away out of the bubble who come back into the bubble, who, ha- who aren't conditioned, who haven't been working out a lot. The Clippers played a terrible game, and the Lakers still only win by two. At this point in that environment, anybody could win. You know what I mean? People are not seeing their families. They're not having any outside contact. That could take a toll on a player, and that can affect their game. I will say, it does does hurt the Lakers that that Rondo is hurt. It does hurt that Avery Bradley is out at the moment. Avery Bradley is their best perimeter defender. So, and for probably the, what is it, the third, maybe the fourth game, Kawhi Leonard has outplayed LeBron. Because LeBron, LeBron, did not have a good game last night. Now, then again, he did have the uh, 
because he shot one ball, got the rebound, put it up for them to go up two, and he had a really good uh, defensive stop at the end of the game for them to win. Yeah. But he let, but he didn't play well at all. I think he had like 16 points, shot inefficient, turned the ball over like five times. And if Anthony Davis didn't play as well as he did, then the Lakers would have lost that game by a lot. I got to watch the highlights on it see what actually happened. And Anthony Davis, like, still, like, doesn't show up in the fourth quarter against the Clippers. I found out that, like, the three games before this game that they play, he he combined for eight points in the fourth quarter. Really? So he's, like, not – so, like, those three games he was, like, non-existent. I didn't know how much he uh, scored in the fourth quarter in this game, but it's very hard for me to see the Lakers going to the NBA Finals after that game. I think the Clippers are probably going to go to the NBA Finals. We'll see. Like I said, it's – being in that environment, you know what I'm saying? I think it's anybody's game. It's very hard for me to bet on LeBron or yeah. you know, or not to bet on LeBron, but yeah, I, I don't know. But now it's like, okay, who else is going to show up? That's right. like the biggest question mark with the Lakers is, okay, you have LeBron, you got AD, <laughs> but like who else is going to show up? It's good that we got some sort of entertainment because we haven't had any entertainment in four months. Yeah. I think the NBA, as well as with the WNBA, they've done such a good job with the bubble. Oh, yeah. Because the NBA literally tested. They had zero tests. Right. Zero positive tests. Yeah, I think it was the same with the WNBA. But that's good. That means they're controlling it. That means it can be controlled. So the NFL is going to start up soon as well. You're a a Falcons fan. Shout out to ATL all day. I will never change my team ever. Well, last year you guys weren't very good, so which means okay. this year you guys are going to be insane. We haven't been very good for a while now. Ever since the whole losing to the Patriots the way we did in the Super Bowl, we haven't been very good. So I am praying that this year there's some changes, and I'm hoping that we can at least make a good run in the playoffs because we, we need it. Like, we need a Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl championship in Atlanta. I don't know how much Matt Ryan has in him at this moment. I don't know. He's a good quarterback. Like, I got a lot of respect for him. He's good. Like, he does what he's supposed to do. Sometimes his decision-making can be a little off. I'm like, what? Like, what's going on? But when you're throwing a ball to the best receiver in the in the league, number 11, Julio Jones, it's hard. I mean, you can throw it up in, in the sky, and he's probably going to catch it. I mean, he's 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. Not a lot of receivers are his height. So, but I'm hoping that. We can make a good run this year. Like, I'm, I'm super excited for the NFL. I don't think we're going to play the Cowboys, which sucks. But Oh, we play the Cowboys. The Eagles yeah. play the Cowboys. Oh, yeah. man. And, and I can't wait for that. I, I, I wish that we would play the Cowboys because it's such a big rivalry. It's a, it's a good rival for y'all, too, though, the Eagles and the Cowboys. I'm psyched for the Eagles season. I think the Eagles are going to be really, really good. Um, they, probably, they probably will. But like, like I said, like, with all of this stuff that's going on, anything I really think anything could happen. You know, you got Tom Brady, who I never thought would leave New England. Where's he going? He's going to uh, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. I never thought that he would leave the Patriots like that. You know, in my mind, it's going to be a Tampa Bay, uh, New England Super Bowl. You know? What oh I'm my! Oh my gosh! If that happens, if that played out. <laughs> that would be that'd be wild. We will see if it's really the coach or the quarterback. That's going to depend on Cam Newton as well in, in New England. Right. And I think that's a good, I think that's a good team for him, for him. I really it's do. It's a great team for him. I think that they are going to be one of the teams to beat. Because not only is it Cam Newton, who's a dual quarterback, can throw and run, 
You ain't stopping that man when he's going full speed. And then along with their coach, I mean, there's a perfect combination. I think Cam Newton just has to kind of stay healthy because he's been on and off for the past two or three years. Basically, since he lost the Super Bowl, he's been hurt. His mental state is good, too. So, And now with Tampa Bay, it's like now Tom Brady actually has some weapons. So you never know. It really could be a Tampa Bay-New England Super Bowl this year. I hope it's like an Eagles-Chiefs Super Bowl. I mean, I hope the Falcons are in it. But I would not be mad if it all came out to be Tampa Bay versus New England. I think (laughs) the drama behind it would just, you know, the the amount of views – Oh, man. The whole world would watch that game. Now as I think about it, just the storyline of, of a Super Bowl like that yeah. would be one of the best Super Bowl-like storylines ever. Yeah, it, it, it would be a historic game. Obviously, I'm a big Eagles fan, so the whole Eagles being like the underdogs and them beating you know, the evil you know, empire of the New England yeah. Patriots, I thought it was a pretty good storyline. But that? That would be an epic storyline. I wish it was – I wish, like, the year before it would have been New England and uh, the 49ers with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo just because uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, was traded and he would have yeah. been, like, Tom Brady's successor. Now, hopefully the football season, you know, goes in full. Major League Baseball, on the other hand, I do not think is going to finish out this year. Why not? So now we've had the Marlins with – the Marlins have had 18 positive cases. 18? What have they been doing? Why are they not in a bubble? They're in Florida. They're not in a bubble. If Major League Baseball had a bubble, and I'm not saying just one bubble, I'm saying like three for like the the AL East and the NL East has their one bubble, the AL Central and the NL Central has their one bubble, and then the AL West and the NL West have their own bubble, then you could probably get away with it. But now you have the Marlins had 18 positive tests. The Phillies played the Marlins as – cases were starting to come out like but you're having games being postponed because the Phillies were supposed to play New York that got postponed Marlins were supposed to play the Orioles that got postponed now you got more and more teams getting postponed now it's like is the season even gonna you know end or even gonna finish you know it honestly probably won't if more teams and more players start having like 18 is a large number it's it's uh it's like 60 percent of their team yeah, so if, if other teams start having numbers like that, then you can count MLB out, man. I, I'm not, like, a huge Major League Baseball fan. I played softball back in the day, but, I mean, I could, I could probably get into Major League Baseball, but it's just not something that, like, I got, I got respect for, obviously, all athletes and what, you know, baseball players do. They play a lot of games, you know. I got respect for them, but. Well, another thing that's taking a huge risk is, is continuing college sports. Now, there are some places that have canceled fall sports, like Harvard. Like, Harvard's yeah. not having any fall sports. But then you have other programs that are moving it back a little bit and just playing conference games. So, it's going to be really interesting to see, like, is there going to be NCAA tournaments? I feel like coronavirus is never going to go away. It's always going to be there. And then we're about to reach into fall, you know, in a short couple of months. And the flu season is going to be here. So, it's going to all, you know, recycle. I think you can control it, though. You can social distance, you know, especially college. You can socially distance people in college and make sure, you know, check their temp, everybody wears masks. Because I think you got to give these athletes, this is what they come to do. You know, regardless of them getting an education, they want to play. That's all. At the end of the day, they don't care if they don't got no fans. They just want to play basketball, football, volleyball, whatever. They just want to play. You're going to have – 
kids who are going to go do stuff other than just play sports, you know, like go to parties, yeah. and go to other places. And like, that's like a huge risk. And that's on them. You know, that's on them. If they want to go out and party, everybody should get tested every week. You know, everybody should get tested. I think in the NBA and all that stuff. Yeah. That's how they make their living. You know, they have to have money. So they have to play with college. You don't necessarily have to play, but I know those students want to play. Some people, you know, unfortunately only want to go to college just to play a sport. You know what I mean? So I just think, they have to play, even if it's conference game. We'll see what happens. Currently, for the Peach Belt, we talked about this a little bit, but they're going to start fall sports. Fall sports are able to play games like October 2nd or something like that. Obviously, they can practice you know, before, but they moved it back a little bit. I don't think they should cancel it completely. I just don't think it's fair. You know, Some people wait their whole life to play you know. uh, in college. I did. You know, That's the only thing I wanted to do was play a college sport. And to have that stripped away from you, it, there's something. There's all you can always do something. That's how I feel. Don't just cancel it altogether. Yes, it's important. I don't, those kids don't care if they don't got fans. You know what are scrimmages? You barely. It's just your team and other team. Don't don't do it to the to those you know students. Like they just want to play. That's all. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Like with the Peach Belt. I mean, at this point, it is what it is. What they've planned. I just hope all of the athletes at USA can are able to have their seasons. Yeah, me too, man. All right, so now let's transition into something that we like to talk about like during our free time and we're big on music. So, right. who are uh, who are some of your favorite rappers? My favorite rapper at the moment. Well, actually, I'm going to just say my favorite rappers. I love J. Cole, I love Lil Baby, and I love Wale. Though and Chance the Rapper. Those are like my top 4. They're all kind of different and they're similar, but those I think are my top four, not of all time, but like of this generation. So. Have you have you listened to J Cole's like two songs? I think they're pretty dope. I yeah. think uh, Lion King on Ice is my favorite out of both of those. Apparently, those two are the first two tracks for his next album, The Fall Off. I can't wait that Lion King on Ice song. Like I, I listen to that probably every day. I like it. I like it. I like the vibe that J Cole gives off. Like you know the the lyrical vibe you know it, he's good to paint to as well so and i think Lil baby has done so much for the rap game in the past year that you kind of have to put him top five currently currently because he just how he stepped up really if you don't got little baby on your album i don't think your album sales is going to be that much like he put little baby on your track and i'll guarantee you everybody will love the song like him, him, J. Cole, Kendrick are up there. Drake's up there. And I, I love Wale. Now, Wale, you know, he's a little underrated, I feel like. But listen to his music. He's very lyrical as well. Yeah, see, some of my favorite rappers, like I'm always a Meek Mill guy. I'm from yeah. Philly. He has a movie coming out pretty soon. Oh, really? Because, uh, you know, he's into the whole dirt bike that he used to do in Philly and all that stuff, four-wheelers and stuff. So he, he it's basically a movie about that. So mm. it looks pretty dope. My favorite rapper ever is probably Kanye West. As much as I love Kanye, like he needs to get some help. He has issues that personal issues that he needs to deal with. I don't dislike him as a as a rapper or anything, but I, I don't think it's more my vibe. I don't think he's more my vibe, you know. I'm not gonna say I never was a Kanye fan. I just didn't, you know, lean towards his music more than others. And you know, I'm an R and B fan. Like I can listen to R and B, soul, jazz. You know, when it comes to rap, 
I do like the lyrical type vibe. You know, I do like Drake. Drake's not like my top favorite though of all time. He is probably top five, top ten or top five of all time. I hate that debate. You just gotta be real, man. Like, if you want to talk influence, possibly. Just the amount of sales, the amount of. Let me rephrase that. In, uh, influence of an artist. I think he's done a lot in his generation. Like, in it, as soon as he came out, he's just done so much over the past what? We've been listening to Drake since high school. 2009. 2009. He's been doing so much every single year. You always see Drake's face. You know what I mean? You always see it. Some other rappers I really like. Uh, Daisy is up there for one of my favorites. J. Cole is up there with one of my favorites. I've been waiting for Kendrick to drop an album. Ever since Damn. Well, actually, he did the Black Panther album. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I, yeah, I do like that. Damn was a good album. So we need new music, fresh new music going into 2021. I mean, we're halfway through this year. What are your thoughts on The uh, the Weeknd's last album? I honestly didn't. I, and people might shame me for this, but I'm not a huge Weeknd fan. I, he's not, and he can sing. He can really sing. But I'm just not a huge fan. I think my favorite R&B, you know, I'm old school. I'm a 90s kid. You know, shout out to all the, the kids born in the 90s. But, like, I love Usher. You know what I mean? I love, I mean, everybody likes Chris Brown, but he's more pop. You know what I'm saying? But that's the that's the type of vibes I kind of listen to, that old throwback 90s, you know, boy group, girl group type of vibe. And with hip-hop, like I listen to Biggie and Tupac, you know what I'm saying? Every time I get in the car, I have Biggie and Tupac playing. You know, Ice Cube even, even though he's kind of like late 80s. But Ice Cube, um, Snoop, you know, I, I'm listening to them, you know. They're the pioneers for this hip-hop game. All right, so now let's transition into our last segment of the day. We're going to go back to our hot take of the day where we talk about controversial topics. So what is your hot take of the day? All right, I don't, I don't think it's a controversial topic, but I think it can get people talking. You know, I just – I'm not a sneakerhead. You know, I don't have a, a bunch of Jordans and all that stuff, but I do love classic shoes, and I do love Reebok classic white shoes. And I think that – is the best white shoe over the low-top Air Force One Nikes that you can buy. Is a classic Reebok shoe. And that's my hot take of the day. And I'm going to get shamed for it because everybody's oh, you got to get the Air Forces, white Air Forces. If you want your feet to be comfortable and look classic and still, you know, look like a good fit with your, you know, skinny jeans or whatever, the, you know, street style you wear, Reebok classic all white is a must. That's kind of controversial because the white Air Force Ones is arguably one of the most iconic shoes ever. It is, but if you look in my closet, I do not have any Air Force Ones. Not saying that I wouldn't buy them, but I just don't think – I try to think of, you know, comfortability, you know what I mean? It would be cool to have a pair, you know, white Air Forces, but the Reebok Classics, they just look so dope to me, just the lines in it and everything like that. They literally give you like an inch of height. See, you're already at it. You know, height, I just think they look dope. See, I got white Air Force Ones. Yeah, so. and I, I got white Reebok. So I feel like it's a debate, you know, about which white shoe is, is the best white shoe. You know, you can even go into like, I don't know, Converse, Vans. Uh, but I think with the sneaker, the Reebok versus the low-top Air Force Ones, I think that's a, a good debate 
and in my opinion, is is Reebok all day. And I know I'm probably one out of you know twenty people that's gonna say Reebok. All right, that's not bad. So here's mine, and I'm gonna go back to music here. I do not think Tupac is a top five rapper. You don't think Tupac is a top five rapper? I'm not saying that. Like me, I'd have to put him in there just for the topic of debate. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna put my thoughts in a different perspective that he's not a top five rapper. Here's why. He's only got two real albums. The rest mm-hmm. of them are, uh, are after he passed away or two or three albums. I forget. Yeah. If you want to say influence, he's probably the most influential rapper ever. But if we're going straight off of both rapping ability and going off of accolades, I can't really put him as a top five rapper. I don't know, man. I'm a huge Tupac fan, man. I'm a huge Tupac fan. I just, I started listening to like just <clears throat> his hit songs, but like his actual albums and his actual like songs he has on there and what he's saying. And it's dope, man. It's real raw in your face type music. Now I would definitely put him as a top five rap artist. Okay. But I'm just going like rappers. What what type of rap? Lyrical rap, club rap. Uh, vibes rap. There's so many different types of lyrical ability is also another thing you have to take into account. J. Cole, Kendrick, Wale, very lyrical type rapper. Like people aren't gonna put Drake top five rappers with rapping ability. You know, they're gonna right. put they're gonna put Drake in their top five rap artists. Right. Okay, I see what you're saying. Artists, artists versus the lyricalness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely understand that. I love Tupac, and I just think I love Tupac just because of what he stood for and everything like that. But when it comes to lyricism, Biggie might be over Tupac. He absolutely you know? is. When it comes to that. Because you know Tupac, Tupac was kind of a mix of, like, rappy, but also a little bit of pop in there as well. Right, a little bit of that, pop. Yeah. Where Biggie was more lyricist and more kind of street. Yeah, that raw, like, grind, grimy type you know, music, which is nothing wrong with that. But I think, like you said, top artist of all time, rap artist, in my opinion, is Tupac. But when you start getting into the nitty gritty, the the lyrics and, you know, their impact and what they've done for the culture, you know, when it comes to clothes and, you know what I'm saying, stuff like that, That's that'll take days to figure it out. Yeah. You, know? you start looking at sales and stuff obviously when somebody passes away their sales are going to go up you know what i mean yeah it is what it is it's unfortunate take nipsey, nipsey hustle you know what i mean nobody really knew about nipsey hustle until he passed away and he's done a lot for his community in, in in cali and all that stuff he's done a lot impactfully but you didn't really know his music that one album that he had you really didn't know until after he passed away and then his album sales went up yeah, you know? like I thought Victory Lap was a really good album. It was, but I never knew about it until he passed away. It's you know, it's unfortunate to see all these rappers like passing away, whether it's drugs or shootings. Like Juice World is another big one. Pop Smoke as well is another big one. Pop Smoke would have been. He was twenty years old. He was my he age. He literally reminds me of Fifty Cent. Like the way he, his voice and the way he raps is Fifty Cent, all day. He would have been dope. He would have been real dope. Real though, I man, it's just like, it sucks that we wouldn't, we never get to see what his full potential would be. Well, that is the end of this episode. Thank you, Jazz, for joining me. No problem, man. Glad to be here.
follow Jazz on Instagram at jcoach12. Follow the podcast on Instagram at the underscore wins and losses underscore podcast and on Twitter at wins and losses PC. Thank you for tuning into today's episode and I will see you guys in the next one. Peace. Peace.